Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Today, we're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, it's not often that a former professional wrestler of star magnitude is able to conclusively prove the existence of extraterrestrial beings, putting pressure on the United States government to finally admit that they do have an ET investigation program and all of that goes with it. Amen. And it's not often that we have a candidate for governor come on the program to share this information with us. It's not often that the former professional wrestler is the same candidate for governor who's accomplishing all of this groundbreaking research. Glory to God. John, the illustrious one, Stewart, a retired professional wrestler, former candidate for U.S. Congress, and a candidate for governor of Illinois, is our guest today, praise God. John's best known for competing in the American Wrestling Association on ESPN, the World Wrestling Association, and the American Wrestling Association All-Stars. At his peak, John appeared on ESPN's main event eight different times. Amen. In 2018, he had an unsuccessful run as governor of Illinois. In 2000, he ran for Congress and was also featured on The O'Reilly Factor, Hannity and Combs, MSNBC, and was featured in the New York Times Magazine as well. After he retired from wrestling, he took over the family's car dealership. He's the past co-host of the Truth Busters Live podcast on the Triple T Network, and he's now in post-production of his documentary, The Gray Area. Praise God. He's now running as a, on a replacement ballot for the Secretary of State of Illinois as a Libertarian candidate as well. Help me welcome to the program, John Stewart, a.k.a. The Illustrious One. Praise God. John, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today, man. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor. It's a pleasure, and thank you for having me. And uh, it's a genuine uh, uh honor to to speak with uh, with you and and your listeners and viewers and i mean that sincerely amen now john it's a you know i i, I have to you know <clears throat> thank you for taking the time to join us but the first question i always start with is this other than that brief information we just shared can you tell us in your own words who is john stewart you know i uh, a blessed uh 56 year old man uh that's had a lot of uh uh, excitement and interesting events and achievements uh, in his life. Uh, uh, a man that's been blessed with with wonderful parents, uh, growing up in a wonderful middle class neighborhood in Chicago. Always felt safe. Uh, enjoyed vacationing, spending my summers in Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Hey. I always tell people there's two Michigans. There's the lower mm-hmm. one yeah. on the east side of Lake Michigan, yeah. and then above Wisconsin is the other. So yeah. not a lot of people realize that. Oh, yeah. um, you know, uh, just I, I've just been uh, blessed. Uh, been married for going on my 25th year. I have three beautiful children, three grandchildren, and uh, I I, um, I had uh, someone tell me that I. Uh, I've had the condition of having, and I'm going to try and say this correctly, unreal 
ex- the psychological condition of having unreal expectations. And, um, and, and I, and I don't say that to be glib. I, I, you know, I just, because I became a professional wrestler six months out of high school, oh, wow. that kind of gave me this weird foundation that I could do anything that I want. I mean, how could you not feel that way? I mean, yeah. you know, to have yeah. that, that, that success. So, so brief, so, uh, so soon, uh, just, you know, being a little high school guy. And so, uh, and I, and I was fortunate for that. And so, you know, when I, when people wanted me to run for public office, I didn't say, Oh, I can't do that. I did it. I tried yes. it. You know, when, when, when the, the professional race car driver across from the car dealership came over one day and met me and said, you should try race car. I tried it. You know, <laughs> when, um, when, uh, uh, you know, it came across my, my lap that uh, somebody wanted to help me produce a documentary about that, you know, proving really the greatest cover up in human history. Yeah. I didn't say, well, how could a used car dealer and former wrestler and a failed politician, how could I do that? I'm, and I'm not that bright. So, but I didn't, I had, thank God, this, this condition. And, and I, and I mentioned him before to you in our pre-briefing, you know, I'm friends with Reverend Michael Carter from ancient aliens. And he said, you know, there's other people and I'm not putting myself in this class, but there's other people that have had unrealistic expectations who feel they can do anything despite, you know, their, their status, you know, mother Teresa, uh, a, a, a diminutive nun poor, you know, you know, no change the world uh, yeah. Park, uh, yeah. Rosa Parks, who said, I, I'm not going to sit in the back of the bus. I'm standing up. Those are the extreme examples of yeah. people that said, I don't care what my station is in life. I, I'm, I, I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm, I'm going to reach and, and try and change things. So that's, you know, I am want to ask me who I am. That's probably my, my, uh, my, uh, my crown, uh, my, my biggest achievement in my crown is always having it in my mind. And it's not ego. It's just the fact yeah. that, I, I'm going to try and do this. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the to the UFO and your documentary and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I have to ask again about your alter ego life and wrestling. Okay. You've been sure. retired a good bit now. Do you yeah. still follow wrestling at all? I watch it occasionally. It's it's yeah. not the wrestling that I grew up with or that I was. When I started in the mid 80s, you know, mm-hmm. people actually believe what I was doing. And especially in the South, my, my life many times or my safety was, was in jeopardy. And I don't even say that to be melodramatic. I mean, you know, you're wrestling in the South in 1986 or 1987 or 1990, and you're a bad guy and you're egging on the crowd walking back to the dressing room after a match, after you just cheated and, 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 um, and, you know, screwed up one of their, their, their heroes is not only wasn't a safe thing. I've been hit with just about everything. I've never wow. been stabbed, thank God. Yeah. Um, but punch, spit, th- uh, bottles thrown at me. Um, you know, try to trip uh, a, a Pepsi. You know, a Coke uh, cups full of all sorts of of, th- of items. Rocks thrown at me. Uh, so I, I I've gotten it all. But uh, yeah. so but but um, so I it, now it's it's a theatrical event. It's a gymnastic event, and I'm not cutting it down. I think that's wonderful. Um, the, the all of the men at, at uh, on the WWE and AEW are making great livings, as opposed to when I started. Really, only like the top ten people in the industry were making a really, really good living, and that's fine. I I signed up for it. Nobody came to my door and said, you, you know, you're going to be a wrestler. 
for the next 15 years. Um, but uh, it, it was, it was, it was um, to, to, to accomplish a lifelong dream. And I mean that sincerely, I am different than most people. And I don't say that to be bragging or impress people. I say that to impress upon people that I don't walk around with my nose in the air and a big ego. I, I walk around with an appreciation and I am so grateful. You could ask my wife, my friends. I am the most grateful person in the world because I accomplished my goal, becoming a yeah. pro wrestler, playing college football. But being a pro wrestler, I'm also grateful for still being alive at 56 because about 75 of, 75 yeah. of my colleagues are died yeah. and haven't reached age 65. So I know how precious life is and how it can be taken away. And, and that gift that the, the, the multiple gift, and I don't mean to be melodramatic, mm -hmm. but the multiple gift that the world of pro wrestling gave me of accomplishing a goal and being eternally grateful for just being alive. I could never repay as I call them the wrestling gods. I really can't. And so yeah. I am just so thankful that I had that opportunity. Amen. Amen. As, yeah, as hard as, as hard as it was, Pastor, as difficult as some of the men were and as cruel as some of the people in my industry were and ruthless, again, I signed up for it. Mm. I still am passionately grateful uh, for having a, a very, very long um, in and out career inside yeah. of the world of professional wrestling. Amen. Because you you left wrestling, took over the family dealership. Right. Was this due to injuries taking their toll, or just getting tired of the travel schedule, or what? Well, it was everything, especially, and it, it was also <clears throat> the fact that I had let my body go physically, mm -hmm. um, and starting to get into the heavily um, area of wrestling era where where cosmetics meant something, and. You know, I and and I was so I was in and out of wrestling. I would wrestle on the weekends. I would I would have a, a career in the automobile industry. I started making a lot of money in the auto industry. And once you've been on TV and you've won and you've been in these arenas, you know, and you've done it for years and years, and you do the travel in the in the eight hundred a mile a week to fifteen hundred mile a week car trips legitimately yeah. i was putting a thousand miles on my car in the memphis territory you know it's all becomes about money it yeah. becomes it, can i make enough money to make this worthwhile or not because the ego part is gone and so yeah. i started to make more money in the car business than i did wrestling although i enjoyed being a pro wrestler most of the time and i and i just could not and didn't have the motivation to get into the gym still five days a week. So when I did get a couple of shots back to go back in, they're like, boy, your body is not, you know, even though I looked like a college football player, I didn't look like a world-class wrestler at that time. And then I had a couple of opportunities to be a manager um, with the in the WWE. One of them was, I, and one of the higher ups said, no, I want my guy. And he did not like the man who was named Jim Cornette, who I think a lot of wrestling fans know, who wanted to bring me into the WWE. So that deal was kind of squashed. And then when I had another opportunity in 99, I had just got married to my wife and had a stepson, my wife's stepson. And I said, am I doing them a service? And I had a chance to go back and be a manager again. I said, am I going to do my wife a, a disservice? Of I just married her. And now I'm going to go back on the road 14 days a, a month at a time, being around that the, the the drama and the and the the um the temptation of drinking and 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 um all the all the 
malfeasance that a rock star would have on the road. Yeah. And I, and I just didn't follow through with that. I just thought Amen. that, you know, honoring my wife and in my new life was, was more important. And I'm glad I did that because I was able to start my own wrestling promotion. And I, my friend and I did that for 10 years and traveled around the country on the weekends. I still was a businessman and still was a married husband that honored my, my commitment. So it was, it, it turned out, it turned out beautifully and I'm alive at 56. So God, yeah. God, Amen. God bless, God. God bless the path. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And then you decide to enter politics. A explain your reasoning for wanting to go into that snake pit of that kind of arena. Yeah, especially in Crook County. I mean, Cook County, <laughs> especially in Chicago. You know, being a, a you know being in Chicago, a family business that was thriving in the community. A lot of politicians bought cars from our family, and they also would hang around the dealership. We were like, a, I call this, we were like the Floyd's Barbershop of the far northwest side of Chicago. So, <laughs> you know, politicians would be like, you know, tell my father, geez, your son's charismatic. He was in wrestling. You know, he's, he's you know, he's, he speaks well. We think we could make a politician out of him. And in and, and a part-time one, you know, where you could be an alderman or a state rep where you, you can do it part-time and I could still run the family business. So it was people literally coming to the dealership saying, you need to get into politics. And I was really upset with this little suburb I was living in. And I went to the village hall, the, the, the meeting. It made an impromptu state of the state of the suburb address. And people were calling the village hall and saying, who is this guy? <laughs> we want him to run for mayor. And so I ran for state rep in downtown Chicago. It was a kamikaze mission. And then when I came home for my honeymoon, our congressman, where my wife and I live still to this day in the North Shore of Chicago, it's the area where all the John Hughes high school movies were filmed, just to give reference. The congressman was retiring and people were calling my house. John, you got to run. This is a great time. There's no incumbent to run against. So I ran in that. I got huge national publicity because of the Jesse Ventura fame. And um, and then I was out of politics and, and, and I was in my office. I saw the... Uh, news uh, newscast of an eight-year-old being shot in her front yard on the southwest side of Chicago and all of the gang violence. And then there was an article sitting there. It was, it was a divine moment. And I don't mean that to be melodramatic. In a news article my father put down on my desk as this was playing that the state of Illinois couldn't pay $16 billion in obligations, their debt. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm ticked off. And I'm going to do something. And I called the Libertarian Party. I said, I want to run for governor. And they paved the way. And I was in a three-way primary. I lost the caucus by one vote. Oh, and, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, I know that. And then in, yeah, and then in 2008, in uh, 22, they called me and said, the Democratic Party's kicking off our candidate for Secretary of State. Long story. Would you let us put your name on for a four-month, you know, whirlwind campaign? Of course. You know, being the automobile dealer, the Secretary of State monitors the car dealers in the state of Illinois. And, um, you know, that was interesting. And it gave me a taste of what I was going to expect with the alien uh, information, which was the Chicago media really turning this blind eye now to the truth and to people really trying to make a difference. And I, I say that based on what my sister would say, that in the 80s and 90s, if my brother sneezed the wrong way, it was in the newspaper. You know, yeah. the pro wrestler, the pro wrestler running for Congress, you know, he was, uh, we saw him out having dinner or, you know, and now the media turning a blind eye for me running for Secretary of State and, 
in which we'll talk about my alien investigation. Yeah. So it was a little divine foreshadowing of what I was going to face and still do face from the media regarding this uh, this uh, alien investigation. Amen. Amen. Well, let's let's make that transition to your documentary research for the gray sure. area. Sure. Uh, when did you start taking an interest in the extraterrestrials? Always been interested, like I like I said, just because of the documentaries that came out in the seventies, and mm-hmm. I always had an an open mind, so to speak. And it was the start of COVID, uh, Pastor, that I was the first time, and I don't say this proudly, that I had time off from my life that wasn't due to injury or or work. You know, I was a workaholic, and I am embarrassed to admit that now. And it was the start of COVID, excuse me, that I that a uh, a uh, friend of mine who was a Hollywood producer and an Emmy award-winning producer, his name was Adam Wilkenfeld of Neon Television, called me and said, look, you know, we, we COVID starting, they're looking for quick documentaries and quick, you know, one hour, you know, a docu-series. Do you have any ideas? You know, I always, I always pick your brain and I threw out some ideas and I threw out this, this, this idea about researching this bizarre documentary that came out in 1997 that alleged to show a three minute extraterrestrial interrogation, so to speak, in an underground facility in uh, south of Area 51. And this wasn't CGI. This wasn't, you know, a well-produced documentary like the alien autopsy. This was very unproduced, unrehearsed, no cuts, nothing to attempt to dissuade the view of the viewer. And the bean was bizarre looking. And so I explained this to him and he said, too complicated. We don't have time to do it, but it stayed in my brain. And I said, look, I've got some time now. I think I'm going to investigate something about this. And I put the pedal to the metal and knowing how investigative journalism worked from running for politics, knowing how you vet your sources three or four levels deep and, and knowing that I have done investigation and I'm a good researcher. I said, again, this unreal, un, um, this uh, unrealistic expect, uh, expectation. Could I break into basically the most high-tech security system in the planet 30 years in the past when 90% of the witnesses are dead to prove this video? And I said, I'm going to try. And thank God I did because in my opinion, I have led nothing but the conclusion that yes, this did leak out from the government this did show, and by many um, uh, uh, retired inside military intelligence assets who helped me and guided my investigation, that this was an authentic uh, three-minute film of an off-planet biological being. And if everyone right now that's rolling their eyes, I bring you back to June when a agent of the United States government tasked with reviewing extraterrestrial claims by military and government employees, a man with the Q clearance that's higher than the president of the United States came forward to Washington and to Congress in June. His name's David Grush and said, you know that not, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, that crazy guy from Chicago who said we have craft and beans and we interrogated them. He's right. (laughs) <laughs> and he came forward and said, the United States government has downcraft, has extra, extraterrestrial biological beings. People have died um, interacting with these beings, people in the government, soldiers. And 
The second reason why I came forward again, he said, and the government of the United States has murdered people to keep this secret. And that's when my wife looked at me and said, you're going back to Congress and you're going to hide this in, in the open to ensure that we, our family, is yeah. safe. And that's why I'm here today. Yeah. Amen. 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 And, and this all started from what I read uh, with the Victor Alien interview. And you, when you questioned presidential candidate at the time, John McCain, correct? That's correct. Tell us about That's that. Correct. Tell us about that. You know, people have admonished me for bringing him up, but I, I, I'm here to, you know, to, to tell the story, not to sell the story, to tell you what happened to me. And on the bottom of this bizarre film are the letters DNI, David in, in Igloo, November. If I'm hatcheting the phonetic spelling, forgive me. And Victor tells us that's the Department of Naval Intelligence, which officially doesn't exist. We have proven from Navy people that it does exist. It's an agency buried in the Office of Naval Intelligence. So I asked John McCain when I was on a campaign stop with him, Senator, what is the Department of National Department of Naval Intelligence? And Pastor, this this senator with this jovial look turned um Aggressive. That's the, the, the tamed down word I would use. And looked at me and said, you don't need to know anything about that. And stormed off. And I said, wait a minute. Why are three letters on this alleged hoax video just tick off a United States senator? And that's when I said something, something is not right with this film. In the verbiage of Victor, the whistleblower in the, doc, the first documentary, the second follow-up documentary when he said he was dying and he wanted to come out one last time. And then he came out on the Art Bell coast-to-coast conspiracy program before the first documentary came out. I've had people from the Reed School of Lie Detection saying that is a whistleblower. He uses checking, meaning he checks people. No, you're wrong. Let me correct you. Liars don't correct anyone. They want you to just keep talking and, and don't do anything to stop the conversation. He also uses dark humor, which is a whistleblower tactic. He uses verbiage medical verbiage from the 60s and 70s that I don't think a screenwriter in the 90s could have thought of and wrote this down if this was an alleged hoax. And that was just the start of it. It it culminated, Pastor, just to tell you in case we run out of time, it culminated with a very prominent individual who had ties to the Defense Intelligence Agency, which ran and is still running the everything extraterrestrial, as I put it, with the United States. He had a contact in the Defense Intelligence Agency. And on my birthday, after nine months of vetting me and talking and emailing me back and forth, this deep throat, uh, as we the Watergate terminology of, of the person that helped break the Nixon scandal, Watergate, this 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 whistleblower sent me an internal investigation into this film being smuggled out of Area 51. This Internal investigation from the DIA talked the date, the time, the questions that were asked to this being, what this being was. He was an other gray from the from a planet called Tau Seti. He's from the Galice star system. He was a haploid, which means a, a biological being that had only one sexual chromosome. Humans are diploids. It was uh, it was told what happened after they after they. Um, they got him, um, uh, uh, they uh, monitored, he started to have a coughing fit and a respiratory fit. And after they stabilized him, there was the word I'm thinking of. After they stabilized him, they continued the video, the filming. Pastor, what knocked me off my chair 
was I also got the full names and ranks in 91, mind you. That's when this was filmed. Of every one of the military men who were behind the viewing glass in a ringed seating area watching the telepath conduct this interview on behalf of the Department of Naval Intelligence. Mm. And I never heard of any of these men's names. I Googled in Wikipedia. They all were verified. Again, doing my journalistic betting. I took this research to seven top ufologists like Linda Howe, Dr. Michael Sala, Richard Dolan, Reverend Michael Carter, who all fell off their chair because these were not retread names in ufology. Most of these men were living. And I actually contacted one of the widows of the doctors who came into the room to tend to this being. Folks, Mm. she identified her husband being one of the medical doctors to the being's right, stabilizing this being in this film. And she said he always was secretive about his time in the Army Medical Corps. And Victor told us that the medical staff was chosen more for their ability to keep secret than they were for their medical knowledge. I emailed a, a vice admiral who at the time was only a captain in naval intelligence watching this interview. We emailed each other three or four times when he finally wanted to know why or what my documentary was about. Pastor, he totally ghosted me. Didn't call me crazy. He didn't deny it. And he didn't laugh at me. And let me tell you something and to your viewers, not one person in the government in Hollywood, in the military and in the ufology or any other follow-up witnesses has ever laughed at me or said, this is a hoax. Not one person. I want to repeat that. Not one person in 30 years has any credible information like my uncle has the animatronic alien in his garage. I was the casting agent for this fake hoax video. Not one person with any credibility in 30 years, Hollywood government ufology has ever stepped forward to say that is a hoax. Mm. So this is where I stood that I, and and there's obviously way more as as far as my investigation, but I wanted to give to the main, the main crux of, of the information that courageous whistleblowers in the government has, has given me and have given me. And it's the same story. It's the same story. David Grush told Congress without the names, the facilities and the dates. Have you ever had your own personal encounter? I have not, but I've had strange, I've had strangers in, in my life um, for for years. Let me tell a very quick bizarre story that I that I had to ask other ufologists um, and, and and folks. You know, I, I hate to say this is on the soles of my children because that's very that's you know I don't like saying that. But my right hand to God on this story. It's 1997. I'm reading a conspiracy book, probably one of the most famous books in ufology called Behold of Pale Horse. It was from a naval intelligence person. And in the book, he's telling, look, the government has the ability from technology garnered from extraterrestrials to almost remote view a, a, a target, a person, to see what they're looking at, to see what they're thinking. I am rolling my eyes. It's 12 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning. It's 1997. I get a page. Remember, we had pagers back in the 90s. And it's a phone number. I call it. It's the Excalibur nightclub in Chicago. And the woman says, um, I said, you just paged me. No, I didn't. I'm making the story quick. She said, well, no one has. This is my private office. I'm the general manager. Folks, listen to me. She said, there's only three people that have this number. Me, the owners, and my husband. 
I don't know how you got this phone number. I said, so you're the general manager of Excalibur nightclub. She's like, yes. And I said, I am really sorry to bother you. Hung up the phone with her. Pastor, not an hour later, a minute later, I turned the page of this book. And on top, the next chapter was the Excalibur project of the government. That is the, uh, that is the honest to God story. And I, Talk to people like Jim Mars, who was a, a conspiracy ufologist researcher, um, a, a John Lear, who you know who was the godfather of ufology, mm-hmm. uh, Stanton Friedman, nuclear physicist, another godfather of ufology, who all said, "Look, the mathematical probability of that happening, the timing that it happened, completely impossible." And there's only two people or two groups that could have done that to you. One is in the sky, and one is the government, and. Um, so I've had weirdness like that. I had a dream very quickly. This is this is also a positive. Tell your viewers, put good stuff in your mind, and God will will show you the roadmap, and He will yeah, make amen. it come to fruition. Right. It's 1988. I'm in college. I'm a part time pro wrestler. You know, I'm having this crazy life, and I have a daydream while I'm sleeping of being the governor of Illinois in in leading the state against an army of aliens. A silly daydream. Look what happened in 2018. I ran for governor of Illinois and I was involved in an alien investigation. Again, I'm not saying that to be to befuddle people or to impress people. Folks, put good thoughts in a good roadmap in your brain. Brain, I'm telling you, yeah. God, God will Amen. give you and show you the roadmap in his time. Trust me on that. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for this great this portion of this great interview with John Stewart, a UFO expert and producer of The Gray Area, a UFO documentary that is now, as we speak, in post-production editing. Hey man, now folks, it's not often we also get to have an in-depth discussion of this nature with a former professional wrestler, a candidate for U.S. Congress, and a candidate for governor, all in one episode. But praise God, that's what we did today with John Stewart. Amen? I urge you, folks, be sure you come back for part two in the very next episode. Today, John basically gives us the overview of his life in wrestling and interest in UFOs and all of that. But in the next episode, we're going into some details that I'm willing to say many of you have never heard before. Amen. So be sure to come back for the conclusion to this great interview with John Stewart. Till then, let's pass the Bible reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.